Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Progressive Field in Cleveland. It's the Kansas City Royals 4, the Cleveland Guardians 1. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played. And yes, we're all disappointed that the Guardians lose the final game going into the All-Star break, but put it into perspective a little bit, it's really hard in baseball to sweep a team, right? In a series. It's really hard to sweep them in a four-game series. So the fact that we took three out of four from the Royals, the odds said that the Royals were probably going to get one of those games, right? So, okay, they get the Sunday finale. Yes, it's against our supposed ace, Shane Bieber. You know, they said it twice in in the opening segment. Underwood called him the ace. Manning called him the ace multiple times, uh, and I I don't know I I don't know if Bieber can still be in, he might be the best pitcher on our staff still, but I I don't know if he can be considered an ace anymore. I mean he's given up a lot of hits, a lot of runs this season. The ERA isn't looking too bad three seven seven. What's uh? See what Shane Bieber's whip is at right now. Uh, it's at a one two five uh, this season, which is uh, a little bit higher than his career average. Yeah, last year he was at a one point zero four. Uh, in twenty twenty one, when he was an All Star, it was at one point two one. So uh, in that Cy Young season, he was at zero point eight seven. So definitely, uh, definitely giving up a few more hits, a few more walks. This season, a few more base runners. Uh, his highest ERA since his rookie year in 2018. So, uh, yeah, it's it's not been the best season for Shane Bieber. He's still hanging in there, but things obviously get out of control in this game. Some was his fault, and some was just really bad bat bat. I mean, really bad luck. Uh, so let's get into it. Let's get into the top storylines of this game. And this is not going to be a long episode because, frankly, I am burned out. Uh, I need the all-star break just as much as the players do. Uh, so, yeah. So uh, let's get into this. Uh, there, there's no point. This is one of those games where you're like, ah, just, just put it in your pocket. Just put it behind you. And move on. Move into the All-Star break. We had the MLB draft tonight. We will talk about that in a minute. And the good news is that the Twins did their job and lost again. And so you're still in first place. Did we mention? Did we even mention that yesterday? I'm not even sure I did. By the way, the Guardians moved into first place uh, after uh, Saturday's win and Minnesota's loss on Saturday. So uh, they hold on. They got a half-game lead over Minnesota. So at the All-Star break, your Cleveland Guardians are first place in the American League Central. Okay, that should be the launching-off point for the second half of the season. Not, Not what happened in this particular game. What did happen in this game, the Guardians faced a, a soft-throwing lefty in Ryan Yarborough. And they took a guy with a plus six ERA once again, a guy who was having a terrible season, and they made him look great. They made him look great. He goes six innings, 
Six hits against them, one earned run, one walk, five strikeouts on only 78 pitches. So super efficient. He's only hard hit six times. So what was working for Yarborough? Mostly that curveball. I mean, he had 10 whiffs on 19 swings. It's a 53% whiff rate on that curveball. Uh, it's a 29% whiff rate total on the day, adding 14 called strikes. It's a 35% CSW for Yarborough. So, yeah. Uh, gets it. That curveball not only had the 53% whiff rate, but the, the six balls that they did put in play had an average exit velocity of 84.1. Uh, he had a total exit velocity on the day of 81.4. The Guardians hitters literally could not square him up. I told you, six hard hit balls on the day. He, it was working for him. And he was throwing that curveball to, to lefties and righties. It didn't matter. He was throwing it to both of them. So uh, we do scratch across a run in the fourth. Could it have been more? Maybe. Um, you know, uh, Ramirez leads off the inning with a single 107.8, one of the few hard hit balls on the day, but it's a grounder through the infield up the middle. Uh, after Naylor strikes out, uh, or Naylor grounds out, sorry, but it moves Ramirez up to second. Jimenez would single into right field, drive in the run, but gets himself thrown out, takes way too big of a turn around first base, had ideas of going to second, tries to get back, falls getting back to the first base, and is tagged out. So, uh, some bad base running there. I mean, what can you say about it, right? The guy, you know his, uh, you know the old expression, your eyes are bigger than your stomach, right? You know, you took too much on your plate, you can't finish it. That's kind of what this turn was around first base. His eyes were a little too big for what his feet could do. So he takes too big of a turn and gets thrown out. Right? There's a, you got to be better than that. There's not there's not much we can analyze of that play. You just it's a mistake, yeah, uh, uh, a mental mistake on the base paths. And it hurts cuz Freeman walked behind him. Freeman was excellent at getting on base. Freeman was kind of the spark, you know, the the the, the engine of this offense. He's on base 3 times. On the day. And it doesn't help that Will Brennan strikes out three times behind him. And then he's got Strong Gallagher who couldn't buy a hit. Uh, literally, Straw tried. Uh, in the final swing of the game, Straw tried. Believe me, a 490 expected batting average. He tried. But Isbell runs it down in center field. So they couldn't get a hit. And Freeman goes to waste. Uh, everything he was doing uh, goes to waste. Jimenez also with a multi-hit game in the middle of the lineup there. So... Uh, the bottom of the lineup, again, when I told you, when Straw and uh, Gallagher are in there, it feels like we're playing with seven hitters. So there were other opportunities to score. I mean, Quan uh, gets on with a fielding error. He's on second base. They have chance in the first inning. They have chances in all these innings. Uh, they go uh, one for seven with runners in scoring position. So they really have no one to blame but themselves on this game. Uh, Ahmed Rosario would lead off single in the sixth inning. Uh, Josh Naylor would single, but Ahmed Rosario would get himself thrown out at third base, uh, which is a tough one. Uh, it would be the second out of the inning. You know, the old expression is don't make the first or third out at third base. 
The reason the second out isn't such a big deal is because it's understandable that a guy is trying to get himself to third base to score with one out, right? It's understandable trying to get yourself to third base because then someone can bring you in with a sack fly or other sacrifice situation. Uh, Again, third base, less than two outs, so many ways to score. So, it's been our calling card all season. So, again, I can't slam Ahmed Rosario for doing something that the Guardians base runners have been doing all season, which is trying to take the extra base. They just make a perfect throw to nail him. Uh, it hurts because Andres Jimenez would then double, but Tyler Freeman would line out at 103.2 to end the inning. I told you every swing of his was – he was just swinging a great bat yesterday. 500 expected batting average, but he lines out. So – the sixth inning was definitely another chance, and we needed it because they had scored a bunch of runs in that sixth inning. And we have three hits in the inning, and another ball hit at 103.2 miles per hour, and we don't have anything to show for it. So, yeah, it's it's rough. The Guardians offense, and then in the ninth inning, we get two guys on. a two With two outs, Tyler Freeman singles again. 100.6 off the bat. I'm telling you, Freeman is swinging the bat great. Uh, Brennan would strike out, but a crazy, it should have ended the game. But uh, Fermin behind the plate can't handle it, and it ricochets all the way up the third base line, which was bizarre. Usually you see those go to the backstop. So this ends up like, it almost works like a bunt, uh, and Brennan is on uh, with the strikeout. So now you've got the tying run at the plate, and it's Miles Straw. And I, you know what? I, we'll talk about this in a second, but he put a good swing on it. Hit it 97.2, sliced it into uh, right center field, and Isbell just made a fantastic run and catch out there. It really sucks that with the game on the line, Miles Straw is even up there. But I'll at least give him credit to the fact that it was a good swing. It, it, it was a good idea. It was a good swing. I see what he was going for there, and uh, almost 50% of the time, that should be a hit. So, that's what was going on offensively for your Guardians. Uh, again, one for seven with runners on score, but it just felt like nobody had the hit today, right? Jimenez drives in, Ramirez, but other than that, just every time the situation was there, nobody could find the big hit. And we've been doing it all series to Kansas City. We've been rallying. We've been fighting the hit all series against Kansas City. Sometimes you just run into a pitcher that just you can't do anything against. And clearly, Ryan Yarbrough with that 35% CSW, what did I say? Uh, Was that guy. Was that guy to cool off this offense. Uh, So, yeah. Uh, Bieber on the other side of things uh, does lose it in that uh, sixth inning. He gives up the solo home run to Ispel. Uh, that one hurt because the Guardians had just scored in the bottom of the fourth, and now in the top of the fifth, you're coming right back and giving them a run back. Uh, the home run was on, I believe it was a high fastball. Let's go in here to Bieber's pitches. I, mid mid away to Isbell, the lefty. Uh, middle away, a fastball coming in at 91.1. Something that he could get his arms out there and drive. Uh, obviously, drives it out to right center field. Um, 
So Bieber, that fastball again, just is not going to fool anyone. It's not, he's not going to blow it by people, especially when he's only at 91. I know he, uh, he maxed out a little higher than that. Um, let's see what the max out was on his fastball. Uh, he hit 93.2. So he did reach back. In fact, he was almost a mile per hour. He averaged almost a mile per hour faster today than he had all season. He, he, uh, his average was 92.2. In fact, that was the slowest fastball he threw. 91.1 was his minimum. That was the slowest forcing fastball he threw on the entire day. And it goes for that solo home run. And then, you know, they start to rally off him in the uh, in the sixth inning. Ends up giving up three runs in the sixth inning. The big hit was a, um, was a triple by Michael Massey with two runners on. And it clears the bases. Uh, obviously a triple. Uh, this one, this is the bat bip. This is what I'm talking about. This is a slider well below the knees. I mean, Massey really has to go down and get this thing and ends up just jumping on it and pulling it down the first pace line past a diving nailer. So it's just a perfect spot. And frankly, I'm not going to kill Bieber for this one. There were other ones that were up. There were, you know, there were other pitches that were up that got hit. Uh, like Bobby Wood Jr.'s uh, double in the uh, fourth inning on a 3-0 count was just a uh, a 92-mile-per-hour fastball that was up, and Annie turns on it. So there were a lot of pitches up. Most of the hits come from things at eh, the belt or above. Um, this one, Massey, he just goes down out of the strike zone. It's kind of an ugly swing, too. But he does barrel it up, hits it at 102.1 miles per hour, and Pulls it right down that line. So, again, I'm going to give the hitter more credit there than I am for burying Shane Bieber uh, on the big RBI hit in this inning. There there were some other RBIs, you know, other runs already scored um, leading up to this at bat. But this one, uh, you know, made it a crooked number. Uh, put three across in the inning. So, it's a tough one for Bieber. It is. Uh, we... When we expect him to win these matchups, his final line is six and a third, nine hits, four and runs, no walks, six strikeouts, the solo home run on 91 pitches. He's hard hit one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight times. So not a good day for Bieber. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of... That's kind of all my thoughts on this game. Uh, Marlon's email. Marlon emailed in. And he, he's going to push us to think a little bit deeper about this game. Um, you know, he's uh, he talks a little bit in the beginning of his email about uh, separating from uh, Minnesota in the standings. Uh, he says, why didn't Tito pinch hit strong in the ninth inning when Arias and Bo Naylor were on the bench? They got a reprieve as Brennan reached first base on a wild pitch. Tito has to at least give the team a chance to come back. He did the same thing in the Game 3 loss against the Brewers in which Straw fouled out to end the game. It's gotten to the point where Straw should fake an injury in order for Tito to sub him out. He could have said he... No, okay, he's not going to do that. Tito refused to pinch hit Straw during Wednesday night's blowout loss to the Braves. He'll never pinch hit Straw. And that's what it kind of feels like. Like, I get that his you value his defense in center field. I get that you this guy is clearly our starting center fielder, and that's not changing anytime soon. But why won't you pinch hit for him? 
Why is he batting in the ninth inning with the game on the line when you have Bo Naylor hanging out on the bench? Now, I get Barlow is a tough pitcher. I get that. Scott Barlow is very good. But I just don't understand, you know, what What do you think Straw's going to do? And and this is kind of the thing. Uh, Marler, Marlon would continue on. Uh, he would ask about... Uh, you know, playing Jose Ramirez at DH and not getting Fry into the lineup. Uh, he, obviously, Fry goes in late uh, as the backup catcher once they pinch hit for Cam Gallagher. He actually used Josh Bell as a pinch hitter in this one. So, uh, you know, he basically Marlon's like he could have done things differently and gotten Fry in the lineup against this lefty. Uh, he could have played Quan Brennan and Fry across the outfield. Although he would never do that. He could have played Fry at first base and D.H. Naylor with Jose starting at third. So there were a lot of options in the lineup today. Why does he do it this way? Because Francona, frankly, at this point, is kind of a creature of habit. He is. I don't expect him to change. I mean, Francona, he's just so used to D.H.ing Ramirez on Sundays. That's just what he does. He gives them kind of Sundays off. And, uh... It's the one time a week we get to see Tyler Freeman. And uh, he is. He's stuck in his ways, Marlon. I'm not, there's no sugarcoating it. Uh, I don't know how much of this is analytics driven uh, or, or if it's just in his mind, Sunday's the day you give guys off. And they're, they're starters and they should be in there every other day. And the same thing with pinch hitting straw hair. Now, uh, Barlow is a righty, and I know he's got the wicked slider. But he is a righty, so going to the left-handed Bo Naylor isn't a terrible idea, right? I I don't know why. I don't. I don't know why he didn't do it. So, uh, yeah. So, I mean, a lot of questions of Terry Francona and uh, from Marlon here. And there are some questionable decisions in this game. There are some questionable things. Uh, as far as the lineup goes, I, I don't know. I don't know if having Fry in there against Yarborough, the whole game would have helped. Frankly, Fry and Tyler Freeman are going to continue. They got to continue to get at bats. Tyler Freeman is the one I'm more furious about because he was great in this game. Uh, Freeman's now got his batting average up to uh, 308 with a 752 OPS. Now, I know it's a much smaller sample size, than a lot of the other guys on the team because he doesn't play very often. So if you put him out there six days a week, would he be still carrying a 308 batting average? Maybe. We'll never know. Uh, So far this season, he's only got 65 at-bats. That's it. 65 at-bats. So uh, 72 plate appearances. So clearly trailing behind a lot of the other guys on this team. That's the one I'm more upset about. His refusal, refusal to get Freeman in there more frequently. And remember, Freeman can play three different positions across the infield. Like, there's no reason you can't bounce around. And the hard part is Bell and Naylor can't play at the same time, right? One has to DH, one has to be at first base. It's it's hard. I, I get that it's hard. It's hard to fit all these guys in the lineup. We want to see all these guys. We want to see them get more at bats. Obviously, uh, Arias is in no man's land right now. He's in the doghouse, you could say. Um, 
Fry gets in there because he can back up catch and he can play the outfield a little bit too. If Freeman could have made it work in the outfield, he probably would be getting more at-bats. But uh, that clearly didn't seem to happen. It worked with a Gabriel Arias, but it, it doesn't seem to be happening with Freeman. So, um, yeah, I, I just we got to figure out the second half of this season. You know, we've been talking about how Rokio... You know, might be being groomed as the the starting shortstop for next season, but I don't know. Tyler Freeman, if he hits like this, it's another light hitting contact guy in this lineup. But I don't know. I mean, I'd like to see him get more at bats. Maybe maybe I would like to see Tyler Freeman get a crack at second base or shortstop. Maybe Jimenez moves back over to shortstop his natural position, and Freeman gets to play second base next to him. There's a lot of exciting possibilities for what this middle infield could look like once uh, Ahmed Rosario probably leaves in free agency at this point. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's just you got Jimenez, Freeman, Brennan, and Straw all back-to-back in this lineup. Jimenez has the most pop of those four guys, but you're kind of looking at, like, four of the exact same hitter in a row. Uh, high contact guys, uh, gap hitters, uh, yeah, uh, and and Jimenez is probably the best of that crew. Even though his his season numbers are a little bit lower, he does have uh, you know the the at bat advantage over there, the largest sample size uh, compared to Freeman and Brennan. But you basically had four of the same style hitter in a row. Uh, in this lineup today, so it's 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 a little bit strange. They they. Got to find more pop, but, uh, you know, where is that player going to get playing time in this lineup? Who are they bumping for that? Uh, so uh, that's all my thoughts. Uh, we're going to wrap this thing up. Uh, I did notice, remember I talked to you yesterday about Gavin Williams and the whiff rate on his fastball? Uh, I just want to say that StatCast has updated the data, and yes, I, I we were right. Uh his whiff rate on that fastball has definitely took a big jump after yesterday, uh, or two days ago, I should say. Uh, the whiff rate on his four-seam fastball, this is Gavin Williams, who pitched on Saturday, uh, is now up to 25% whiff rate on his four-seam fastball. What, I don't remember what I said yesterday, so you'll have to go back and look. But I can confirm that. Remember, we were looking at the different zones, and there's definitely been an increase in the whiff rate in zone one up to 14.3, and that's up to the arm side, up and into righties. Uh, and then middle up, zone two, is up to a 29.2% whiff rate. So definitely his second best whiff rate in the zone. So the high fastball for Gavin Williams, now I can at least confirm numerically that, yes, it uh, it definitely has increased after this game. That whiff rate uh, middle away is up to 57.1%. His uh, in-zone whiff in total is up to 21.8 on that four-seam fastball. It's pretty good. And outside the zone is at 36% whiff rate, uh, getting him a chase out of the zone, even on the shadows of the plate there. So uh, I just wanted to go back to that. I still had the page open on my screen, and I figured, yeah, let's let's follow up on that because we said we would. So uh, the fastball continuing to be a weapon for Gavin Williams. Uh, and it's not... For Shane Bieber, it's it's just not. Uh, he does get some strikeouts after letting some guys on. There were some situations that Bieber did get out of via the strikeout, uh, but they eventually get to him fifth, sixth inning. Um, 
I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with Bieber. Yeah, in the fourth inning, uh, Bobby Witt, after that double, uh, Salvador Perez singled, but Witt had to hold because he had to make sure it got through the infield, so he only advances to third, and they have runners on the corner. And then Bieber does bear down and strike out MJ Melendez and Freddie Fermin. So, you know, the fourth inning, it looked like it was going to be a classic Bieber game where he lets guys on, but then the strikeout saves him. And then Isbell hits the home run. Then they rally in the sixth inning, and that notion goes by the wayside. So, uh, yeah, a rough outing for Bieber. And uh, MVP on the day, I, I probably, I don't know if I can give it to anyone in our lineup. Uh, Freeman was on base three times. Uh, Andres Jimenez did have the lone RBI on the day. So those guys are probably our most valuable players on the day. Frankly, Kyle Isbell was the most valuable player on the day for Kansas City. I mean, the solo home run to tie the game and get the scoring started for them. And then the huge, huge catch to save the game in center field at the end uh, were probably two of the most impactful moments of this game. So uh, we'll, we'll just leave it at that. All right. Uh, before we get out of here, the Guardians did make a draft pick. And uh, they actually made two yesterday. Uh, so in the first round, at number 23 overall, they select Ralphie Vasquez, um, Velasquez, sorry, Ralphie Velasquez, who is a catcher first baseman uh, out of Huntington Beach, California High School. Uh, so there's your first round pick for the 2023 draft. Uh, he is currently committed to Arizona State University, but you, you assume Cleveland going after this guy in the first round, they're pretty sure he would sign and forego that college opportunity. I I would assume the front office is smart enough not to waste a first-round pick on a guy that's probably going to college instead of coming into their system. Um, so uh, they also took Alex Clemmy, uh, who was a high school left-hander, left-handed pitcher, with the 58th pick in round two. Uh, and right-hander Andrew Walters from the University of Miami with the 62nd pick in the competitive balance round B. So three players added into the system. Obviously, uh, they haven't taken a catcher this high since Bo Naylor. And so the, the, the everyone could tell you that the catching position in the farm system was a little bit thin. Uh, what I can tell you is the grades on him, they got him, the scouting reports have him at a hit 55, power 55, run 40, arm 55, and fielding 45, and a 50 overall. So definitely someone who's known for their bat and known for their arm. He's 6'3", 215, so he's a big dude for catcher, but hey, look at this is the team that had Sandy LMR Jr. for a long time at catcher, and that was a big dude. So... They, you know, a lot of people I heard on Twitter didn't think, and, and, and some of the pundits didn't think that this guy might stick at catcher all the way through his career. That's why he's listed kind of as catcher first base. But, um, yeah, and nothing really about that in Mandy Bell's report. And uh, big dudes can play catcher. We, we've seen a couple of them. Um, so, yeah, so Ralphie Velasquez, uh, that's, and I texted my brother. I was like, hey, we took this guy. And he's like, yep. And I was like, well, Two to three years, we'll finish this conversation and we'll see how it turns out. Because that's your timeline, right? This, this, that's the thing about the Major League Baseball draft. That's that's why the NBA and the NFL have been able to make bigger spectacles 
of their draft because those guys come in and they are on the field. They are on the court. They make immediate impact. We're not going to hear Ralphie Velasquez's name for a long time uh, if we ever hear it. That's just the the way MLB drafts work. And uh, so, yeah, so, you know, it's a little bit exciting. It's nice to see them go after a bat. We'll say that. They, they got a bat in the first round. Um, all right. That is all my thoughts. Uh, thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning, and I hope you enjoyed uh, the first half of the season. Uh, Marlon said in his email, Davey, thanks for this podcast. It's nice to have a place to vent my frustrations and have a bit of a diatribe in moments like this. I hear you, Marlon. And yeah, it's this show is open to everyone. Marlon has been such a great, consistent emailer uh, You know, this whole first half of the season. And there's a lot of you out there that have been emailing and joining in and being part of the conversation. And I can encourage new emailers to join in that conversation too. Um, I'm excited to hear from all the morning people. I'm excited to hear your thoughts. So, you know, uh, you don't have to do it every day like Marlon does. And if you start filling up the inbox, uh, it probably won't, you know, it'd be hard to get to Marlon's emails every day. Um, but, uh, yeah, go ahead, hit me up with questions like he had about decisions that Tito made. Or, you know, we were talking trade ideas before. Uh, you can talk to me about a prospect you really want to see. The inbox is open, Mornings at gmail.com. I want to continue to make the second half of this season just as interactive, if not more interactive, than the first half of the season was. So I know some of you out there love to hear my thoughts and, uh, I just want to make sure that uh, it's an open place, that Cleveland Baseball Mornings is an open place for you to share your thoughts too. So uh, thanks for joining me. Unfortunately, yes, we, we fall back to 500. I, it would have been really nice to be, you know, two games above 500 at the All-Star break, but we fall back with a loss to the Royals, 4-1. to one. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. Uh, I'm probably just going to take the All-Star break off, to be honest with you. Maybe we'll come back on uh, before the first game in Texas and, and talk a little bit about what this first half of the season has looked like. But I think we all have a pretty good handle on what the first half of the season has looked like. It, it's it's not been the best first half. And we're lucky we're in such a terrible division. I mean, that's, that's kind of the theme of the first half of this season. Uh, we can go into some details on some players. I'll see if I have time to get an episode out uh, before we start ramp things back up in Texas. But uh, for now, you can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss it on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Spotify. If you go to the link in the show notes, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play it back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. 